Hey, fiends of the pod, Nate Wyckoff, your host here again, reminding you like, subscribe, and yes, it is hard to come up with these extra little special things for every episode, but like my good friend behind me, Godzilla, I will not stop until every single building in a metropolitan area is destroyed, if you don't like and subscribe. Enjoy, and please go to cultandclassicfilms.com to pick up exclusive cult movies, and also you can subscribe and have them delivered at a discount to your door every single month. Enjoy the show. Welcome friends and fiends of the pod to a brand new episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. I'm your host, film critic and comedian Nate Wyckoff, and we are keeping it cozy this episode with uh, just me talking to regular contributor Mandy Longley. How are you doing, Mandy? I'm good. I only fell asleep for 15 minutes before the podcast. Yay, and I was only 20 minutes late, so perfect. It really works out. out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. So last week, we talked about Rebel Moon, the PG-13 cut of Part 1, A Child of Fire, which is Zack Snyder's very divisive um, new, uh, essentially, Star Wars film that that is just branded into his own uh, universe that is, is on Netflix and doing quite well, despite the divisive reviews. So we talked about that, and we decided that this would be a double feature, uh, that movie with this one, that we call Star Wars, but not Star Wars, because both of these films are in uh, many ways Star Wars films, but also technically not Star Wars films. So last week, we talked Rebel Moon Part 1, PG-13 version from 2023. And today, we are talking Dark Resurrection from 2007. This is an Italian Star Wars fan film. So the the language is Italian, but there are uh, English subtitles, which are pretty solid. And you can view this film currently on uh, Netflix. Netflix. No, not Netflix. Uh, YouTube, because it pays just as much as Netflix. Yeah, no, you can... You can... <laughs> You can view this on YouTube, Dark Resurrection. And uh, we're going to talk about it and some of the things that we didn't know going in that could have been important to know. Okay, so the plot is... Here's what's interesting about this this fan project that drew me to it, is that while it takes place in the Star Wars universe, it has essentially no character connections. It takes place long after the Empire has fallen. Uh, it was completed in 2007, so before... Uh, the 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 full story with Ray in um, the the Force Awakens trilogy, but far after uh, the pretty you know after the the preview trilogy. So this movie is unique in that they went the way that many of say the Star Wars books before Lucas sold uh, the property to Disney, where they said let's just tell stories of other stuff happening in the universe, uh, and and that drew me to it because as if you've listened to the last episode where Tad and I yet again debated Star Wars and Zack Snyder movies uh, at the at the uh, the limiting of other people's input on the pod. Apologies, Mandy and Corinne. Two men talking over women. How how shocking okay. is that? Is that last, last week I did actually sleep all the way through. That's right. Podcast, you were sleeping. Right? Yeah. It was poor, just poor Corinne. Poor Corinne I... was getting steamrolled. Um, <laughs> But we we will re- revisit this film before part two launches, I believe, in April of 2024. So this movie this week is Dark Resurrection. Its plot is that there is a future Jedi Order. Uh, they're very European. And they have a member who is sort of, they don't say the dark side or anything of that nature, but he is trying to discover the secrets of this uh, pre-existent temple called Eron or Aeron, depending on uh, who's saying it in the movie. 
And it is, we don't totally know the power of it. Uh, by, and by the end of the movie, you see a little bit of it. But you get the sense that it is somehow a member, a, a part of the Dark Force, which you know we know is Sith for Star Wars fans. Uh, Sith is mentioned uh, once, essentially, in the movie. There are two characters who are part of the Empire. They're in a Star Destroyer, which is also interesting because it's supposed to be after the Empire Falls. So they don't really, they don't really clarify that. Um, but they talk about the Sith and uh, they clearly think they're using them. But as we know, uh, Jedi's and Sith have a way of, of, of turning on their turning on their handlers, so to speak. So anyway, there's a guy, his name is Sauron, S-A-R-R-O-N, because every single fantasy villain has to be named Sauron in some form or another. And uh, I guess. And it's not confusing at all. Not at all. So no. the, st the story actually seems somewhat straightforward. I had to really, really dig into this one to get this. So the story is basically, uh, and by the way, this is a cliffhanger. There is a part okay, two. But they did their best to make it really confusing. They did because they told it they in really like did. back and forth, like flashbacks without any uh, indication. The characters are the same ages. So it just yeah. kind of mind boggling. Yeah. Like I would love to... I would love to have a fan recut this fan movie to put it in full chronological order because mm -hmm. um, Guy Ritchie and Snatch, this is not uh, in that term. Uh, so anyway, there's a, a woman we know just from watching the movie that she is the chosen one and there's going to be some sort of, um, she's going to open the, the temple at Aeron. Again, we're not 100% sure what that is through most of the movie, um, but we know that it's not good. And so she's, basically it's kind of crazy it completely it completely sort of is the same as the ray story arc in the force awakens trilogy where she has the power to go either way like she's writing mm -hmm. the middle for some of the of the trilogy or at least they wanted her to, to seem that way where she's very strong force of good but also has these very dark you know I guess mood that can could seemingly be swayed to the dark side and that's this lead character she is um not sure of herself she has tremendous force powers uh, for a jedi she's an apprentice she's almost ready to take the trials which for star wars nerds is how you become an official jedi which i guess is still around much into the future when this film takes place and uh she she we'll talk about her character but basically her master who she's very close to is killed by the bad guy so she brings him into the temple, spoiler alert, and uh, the temple, she uses whatever her force power is or why, whatever she's the chosen one, uh, to activate the temple and it brings her master back to life. And the ending is him awakening and saying, what have you done? So it's a cliffhanger. We did not know there was a part two, partially because part two was made, I want to say it came out eight years after this uh, in 2015. So it was quite a, quite a, that's quite a that's quite a hmm, that's a long ways to wait um so interesting there's a lot of things to talk about in this movie good and perhaps not so good um we have a bunch of i'll start with saying that i appreciated that there were many women of different ages in this which is actually something that is not particularly common in in actual canon star wars films yeah or in some of the independent films that we've yeah, watched right. like a lot of times it's made by like a person and their friend group who are often all their age so right. it, the, the cast tend to be kind of all of one age or like they drag their kid into it or something but this one had like a, a much older cast mm -hmm. uh, or a cast that included a lot of um older people say their 
um, 50s or 60s. Mm-hmm. That's right. And as well as some younger, they had some children, um, some younger people in the cast as well. Uh, so that was nice to see that diversity as well in age as well as gender. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And and I want to correct myself. The sequel did not come out eight years. It came out five years later. And then there was a there's a short film that takes place in the universe that was done like uh, a total of eight years after the original, I believe. So uh, this is Dark Resurrection from 2007. The sequel is called Dark Resurrection, um, Dark Resurrection Zero, Volume Zero from 2011. Uh, so anyway, this you said it was confusing and because it jumps back and forth in time. I also think it yeah. was a little disorienting because there is so much blown out light, like light, mm-hmm. not even flares. It's just bleed. Right. So when you, yeah. it's like when you take a photo and there, you're, there's a light blaring on you and it washes mm-hmm. out all of your features, except the most stark, you know, the shadows around yeah. your nose, things like that. Um, yeah. And I couldn't tell if they were trying to use that at particular times for a storytelling tool to give you a sense of like it was a particular time period mm-hmm. or it was a dream or a vision or i i don't know someone was particularly powerful like it just seemed almost random to me and it it just it did it just added to the confusion more than it i think they must have been trying to help you and it wasn't helping yeah i sort of have a theory about that and you're right i was trying to find a rhyme or reason as well and it is possible mm-hmm that when it's a complete white background behind the characters um it's possible maybe those are flashbacks but at the time of watching it, it's very difficult to determine because everything is very soft it has a soft filter over it think if if for those of you listeners who've watched uh season one of rupaul's drag race way back in the day uh everything yeah. is like it's like cheesecloth is over it it's just so washed yeah. so the blur filter is on extreme uh that's the case here my guess is is that this is done possibly stylistically to a point but mostly to cover up the green screening because oh, okay. um green screening is we all think it's very easy i mean i'm if you watch the video of this on youtube.com slash at Colton classic films uh every tuesday in a classic episode every thursday then you'll you'll see that we use green screens for our backgrounds most of the time uh it's our recording software is quite good at picking it up but sometimes especially if i move fast or move out of the normal range of where i am it goes wonky and or you'll get funky edges um and so green screen is temperamental you have to have it very well lit you have to have a large green screen or several which is something else that i'd point out and again, this is speculation, but my assumption is, is that a lot of the blurring was to hide the fact that maybe some green screening just was not as perfect as it could be. Uh, because even in, you know, prof- in professional features, there are lots, there's lots of post work to make sure that's cleaned up uh, and, and lots of lighting specialists to make sure as little of it happens as possible during the filming. Um, this, I think also, it kind of explains or could explain why there are so many extreme close-ups. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not just to show expression, it's actually during scenes, during scenes of characters running, during fight scenes, which is pretty common for fight scenes, because then you can kind of you can kind of fudge the choreography sometimes. Um, but it's it's one can be a stylistic choice, but two, because it happened at times that didn't seem to warrant it, I'm wondering if the green screen was not always a huge green screen. So perhaps for reshoots mm-hmm. or additional scenes, they used something where it was much easier to crop close to a character 
uh, and 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 save some post-production, uh, cleaning everything up. So that's another guess. And the reason I think these are are very possibly for it is because it actually the filmmakers clearly know what looks what a professional film looks like, because I don't know what the cost was. I mean, this is not a this is not a fan film that costs nothing. You know, I have a feeling they oh, paid. No, yeah, the production value is really good on this. It is quite good. Um, like we've I've seen we've reviewed actually on this channel um direct to video features that are actually poorer quality than this. Um, I I'm thinking, uh, what was the one that poor Nicholas Cage did where there's the alien with like the the visor face? I can't remember what it's called. You can go <laughs> dig through our catalog. There are so many, but it was during our Nicholas Cage month uh, a couple years ago which in fact we're rerunning on uh, classics right now if you're listening to this uh, at the at the beginning of 2024. Yeah, I remember when we finished that month like you sent us the first movie that didn't have Nicolas Cage in it and I'm like what is this trash? Like yes. we do Nicolas Cage movies. I know. It, it, listeners, like... if you want to hear more Nicolas Cage episodes, uh, our specialist <laughs> Greg is on standby. Uh, let us know. Uh, give us some some things you want to hear about, some movies you want to hear about and we'll talk about it because we're always down for Nick Cage, uh, and uh, and if if any of you know him, you know he is he's a man around town. Uh, then go ahead and, and let him know he like him to have him on the show as well, and we'll donate to animal charities, which he's a big fan of, uh, to commemorate him coming on. So, anywho, yeah, uh, it reminded me of that in a way because that movie is it's made by professional filmmakers, but it's trash. You know, it's like it's not even it's barely entertaining. It's something that would run as a special on Saturday morning on Sci Fi Channel in two thousand. Um, and you'd be like, you know, you'd be expecting nothing and happy if it was entertaining. And it was not quite entertaining. This is better made than that, um, despite the limitations. There's also a huge cast. Uh, they kept introducing characters, um, and which is kind of impressive. The costuming, for the most part, is quite good. Uh, mm -hmm. The costuming for the Jedi is sort of the traditional robes. But they really did jazz up the, the you know, the tunic part, you know, under the robes. Like, they have interesting belts um all sorts of stuff like clearly they thought about this i i mentioned it does have a very italian flair like it doesn't to me i could tell that it was even if even if it had been in english i could tell that it was not an english an american i should say production um partly because so much of the film there's actually very little action it's a lot of sort of philosophical and pseudo metaphysical discussion or preaching from from the jedi masters so it's really i don't really see that happening if if the typical american star wars fan said hey let's do this uh, they really get into some some mythos that nobody says like you can't open the temple at, at aaron like it brings people to life and it's the, got the dark force running through it and you'll be tainted nobody says that they say crazy things, you know, that are just riddles and, and, or they have conversations like, uh, don't take, you know, don't, don't think this victory was a victory because you fought in anger. You know, like th they're things that sort of fit into the Star Wars vibe, but they're not something we would, I would expect to see in an actual Star Wars film. I find that both refreshing and also it's, it's, it's hard because also it sort of sometimes doesn't feel like a Star Wars movie, right? Like, it could have, I actually was watching it, and except for the fact that there's an R2 unit, uh, like an mm -hmm. R2-G2 unit that, that wanders, that is in one shot, and then, like, still, and then wanders in another shot, I, you could actually have completely 
and I guess there's a Star Destroyer. You could have completely changed the dialogue to cut out mm -hmm. any reference to Star Wars, and it, it could have been a, a completely separate film. Um, yes, of course, people would be like, they have lightsabers, and they use force powers, and whatever. But I mean, how many films don't do that? I mean, we just watched Rebel Moon, and and uh, Nemesis has two lightsabers, basically. So they're, they're all over the place. So it's interesting, because I, I guess I like that it's different, but I guess I'm surprised at myself that I sort of also missed the fact that it was a little less different or that it, that it was more different, I guess. I don't know. I, I wanted it to feel a little more Star Wars. The music, too. They actually did a good job with the music, I think. But there were mm -hmm. a couple of moments where it got really good because it was not the Star Wars theme, but it felt mm -hmm. like it would have been perfect in a Star Wars movie, especially near the end when we see, like, the Star Destroyer. Uh, and we all know that um, the Imperial March is the most iconic Star Wars theme that there is it's probably one of the most iconic if not the most iconic film score track uh that there is and so yeah so it was nice to see that nod very clearly they were very conscious of the music um and i think it was quite good for what for what they were trying to do like i could see separate tracks of this being put in a new official star wars film uh alongside a couple of old classics because that's what really sells it and then it becomes part of the lexicon in our brain and it feels like star wars so i appreciated that what did you think of the lightsaber battles uh, uh i i meh yeah I, like, this, like i'm like what lightsaber battles is like my first reaction this is totally accurate <laughs> i like them building the lightsaber yeah. more than I really like, or I remember that more than I really remember their battles or the training uh, segments. Because the training well. doesn't really happen. We hear that there's yeah. a training, um, which frankly, well, I guess like I'm okay. Also, but it also seemed like the training lasted like for a decade, and yet she was not any older at the end of the training, and they were still in the same location. And that's in the why world. I thought it was like the training was a day. I'm like, wait, she's ready to take yeah. the trial? How? How? What? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was not like, I mean, they needed like two or three, like at least subtle changes to the location, possibly some kind of costume adjustment or change to like show that time had passed and she was advancing or something. And like, like something stylistically changed about her, it, even if it was the same character to show yeah. that she was aging or that time had passed. Because it was very unclear and they were cutting back and forth to like possibly past events or possibly things that were happening in parallel. And it was super unclear from just the the way uh, they chose to like shoot things yeah. uh, that like of what was happening. Yeah, I don't. Um, and, and for anyone who who is actually who likes to scroll the IMDb pages for the movies we talk about, which or just scroll in general, if you check up Dark. Uh, resurrection there's one screenshot from it and uh it's from uh, uh the actress nina senecar and it is not in this movie she is not in this movie she's in the sequel i don't know why it's here i'm not going to correct it because uh you know put in a correction for it to imdb because uh i just i want that to stay there i want that to be part of history you can go check it out uh but yeah the other thing is that there was no indication until the end of this movie that it was a sequel that there was a sequel like i knew there was a sequel and an extra short but I didn't know that yeah. it was not really a sequel. It's part two, which to part, me is yeah. different than a sequel because the story is yeah. not complete. 
Um, yeah. It felt to me more like a more like a TV miniseries event than a film. Mm -hmm. Part of it, I guess, could be the production. But as you said, the production value, especially for a fan film, are pretty good. Um, oh, yeah. I think I think it was like you know the they do a really good job of green screening. Frankly, mm -hmm. a lot of it, especially the locations. Yeah. Like, if if listeners, if you remember way back to when we talked about um, uh, was it Hero of Time, the Zelda fan film, which um, uh, we had a lot of fun with, and actually the the director lead came mentioned us came and said, "Hey, I can't believe you guys talked about this," and it was really nice. A really nice person, so that was great. But they do they did some fun things to try and like get things done without needing money or more actors, like taking us an image of like a king. I think it's even a statue. I don't even think it's a real king or from a painting and putting it in the foreground in front of the live character and being like, the king is dead, you know, that kind of thing. It's goofball, but it, it's an interesting <laughs> choice. And it is fascinating to see. So at least it keeps you engaged. These guys actually did a little bit more um thorough work like they clearly used some stock footage to show like it looks like they showed somewhere in south america at one point um to show like a um a step uh pyramid and mm -hmm. um another time probably the best my favorite scene using the green screen um like for for wide effect was when the evil sauron faces off with this huge group of jedi who are trying to take his 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 saber away and perform like a, a the separation or some sort of ritual that's supposed to remove his force powers, which I thought was an interesting concept. I don't know if that's from the wider Star Wars book universe uh, or not, but they did. They took an image of some kind of like a sort of druidic looking stone circle, half circle with grass, and then they uh, photoshopped it onto the side of a mountain. And mm -hmm. while, yes, I could see that it was two things put together, it had a really great effect because they could do mm -hmm. super far away shots with and shrink the green screen characters way down. And it looked really effective and it gave them a, a huge amount of range into where they could film, which for most people using a green screen, I don't think that really computes um, mm -hmm. because it's that would be a that's that's a whole nother level, right? We're, we're thinking, how do I make it clean? How do I do all this? And they were thinking, how do we get it to, how do we use it to make this shot that we want rather than how do we use it, um, you know, to do the minimum that I can think of. They said, we want to do this shot. How do we do it? And they found a way to do it. I still don't actually know how they green screen that many people. Uh, it's quite large. Mm. So especially if they did close-ups like we mentioned earlier, because there were limitations in size, yeah. that doesn't pan out here because it's, friggin huge uh i don't know how many people are there like over 30 probably mm. um so i don't know i don't know what they did with that but it was uh i really like that part uh, but I, I think the biggest problem as you said is that the action is very minimal um mm -hmm. there's a lot of back and forth talking so you get it's not even this not interesting, especially if you're a Star Wars fan. I think the more you are into the deep lore, like what has not been on the movies, but uh, you know, what did what did George Lucas's like 300 pages of notes for this, you know, first half of New Hope? What did what did all that contain? The people that are really interested in that um, are going to get more out of this film, I imagine, because mm -hmm. they're looking to see how it expands the Star Wars mythology, the world building, that sort of thing. Whereas people looking for an exciting movie, probably not 
uh, going to be as thrilled. It's an hour long, literally, like, I think, I think without the credits, I think it's like 56 or 57 minutes. Yeah. Um, that sounds great. Yeah. It didn't, it didn't feel like it super overstayed its welcome to me, which was nice. Um, it yeah. did, but it did feel like an episode, right? Which 60 minutes, it could be, a, you know, airs an hour and a half event. Um, so I am curious to see part two. I'm sorry that we didn't see part two fans. Perhaps we'll touch on it in the future. Let us know if you want that. But um, I I did want to talk. There was one lightsaber battle that I did, or moment that I did like when the lead character, I mean, we haven't even given their names because it, it's not, she's named Hope. Okay, that's, that's kind of on the nose, right? Um, her master, I do not remember what his name is because they call him master or she calls him master all the time. Um, but he has the battle with Sauron, the big battle. And uh, they have this pretty good sort of force move where he he grab, he he's hanging from a ledge with one hand. He uses his other hand to bring his saber up to him um, from where it's almost fallen in the ocean on whatever planet this is. And, uh, and then he does this huge leap in the air, which I thought they did a pretty good job. I'm not sure how they yeah. did that. It was clearly green screen, but I don't know how they came across with that. And then he does this this bold choice that it would be interesting to see what people thought if it was in a canon Star Wars film, where he he goes completely Superman with the saber in front of him like a spear and dives into uh, the villain's chest with it. And it's a, kind of a great scene because it's unexpected and it's it's that sort of that new moment that I was hoping to get with something that was so removed from the characters of the 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 prequel original and uh ray trilogy mm -hmm. um i think we need more of that the the world building was done all up front the exposition was done this this movie is exposition um so i feel like it's really dependent on your tolerance for x you know for that your ability to not stress when you don't know exactly what's going on and assume that it's going to come together in the end i don't know that it fully comes together not everything does uh but more or less i, I kind of got the gist of this it's fine yeah it, it wasn't was, like a bet that it ended the way it did it was you know well at least it ended on a high moment right like i yeah. i really did like the line even though it's been done before like the first opening your eyes what have you done like that's <laughs> yeah. a great you know that's a great moment to end on um and i will say and i don't like to th there's no reason to to like chastise a cast member or any cast members just because they didn't hold as much as some others. I think though the weakest perhaps performance for me was probably our lead Hope. Um, and I don't know what kind of direction she was given either. Her name is Andrea um, Sibilia and she's acted in other things as well. Uh, but she's, she's, I believe, primarily a writer. Um, and uh, I, I don't, I didn't, I mean, she she co-wrote this, by the way. Um, so this was kind of, I assume this was her intent, like this was her idea, but I felt mm -hmm. like she didn't have the power uh to to sort of bring this character that's supposed to be very dangerous, you know, the the savior or the destroyer kind of thing to life. Um, maybe it's because she wrote it, right? It sometimes that happens. You get uh, you have a whole bunch of other things in your head than what an actor coming in with a fresh view would have. Uh, and so it actually becomes a limitation. Um, I thought the the actor that played her master uh, was actually quite good. Um, they did seem to have, at first, he's a total asshole. 
<laughs> oh, pardon the French. Like he is, I, I was like, wow, what a, what a jerk. Obi-Wan was not a jerk. Like he was sort of like the teasing Smarmy. uncle almost. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and so in that way, he actually had a charm. This guy is like all like negative, negative, negative when she's training. Yeah. But then they do have some moments where it's actually a little bit of levity. And he sort of shows some pride uh, in his protege. Um, so, and, and luckily that comes in a few steps before uh, he's he's killed the first time. So I don't know how she could have improved that. I think probably the easiest way would have been to cast somebody else that didn't help write the script. Because, mm -hmm. and who knows what extent she helped write the script. But because, you know, think Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight right? He came in with his own character, you know? He came in with his own ideas, and they were like, oh my gosh, yes, and adapted it to the strength that he was bringing to it. Same with Marlon Brando in The Greatest Film of All Time, The Godfather, you know, in my opinion. He, he developed that character himself. He put the tissue in his mouth at home, developing the character, right? <laughs> like, it's quite amazing. Um, I'm gonna bring us to the recommendations. Uh, would you recommend this film Mandy, and if so, why and to who? Uh, I'm on the fence on this one. Like we've talked about some positive points and some pretty meh kind of points. Yeah. So I'm just on the fence on this one. I guess if you dig up parts one and part two, I wouldn't maybe wouldn't recommend just watching part one the way we did. Like maybe yeah. you can watch all the way through, get the you know the full literal the full picture, um, mm -hmm. get to the conclusion of the story that they're trying to tell, uh, then it probably will be a lot more satisfying than the experience we had but i mean it's in the realm of like independent fan films it is not bad no. by any means no it just doesn't i don't know it almost feels like it lacks heart like you said like her like hope's performance was mm -hmm. very like like mellow um you don't really get that sense of the extreme power they're they're right. concerned that she has um we don't see a lot of struggle from her character either, like of which way she's going to go. Um, and like none of the characters are like super likable or mm. like relatable. So other than just be maybe impressed as an independent filmmaker yourself or having an interest in independent filmmaking, uh, there's not like a huge amount there to like draw you in to this picture. Yeah, I, I guess. So I guess it's for, so. And as we said, we haven't watched the follow-up, Dark Resurrection Volume Zero, um, which is about 41 minutes. And like I said, this one's a little longer. Um, but it does look like they actually did quite a, in those five years, up a lot of the costume production value, which is nice because, as we said, it actually was already pretty good. Um, I will say it's interesting that, <laughs> and again, it, it's unfortunate that uh, we were not advised this was just one half, and that was my, my bad. Uh, but the the character of hope does not appear to be a lead uh perhaps even present in the sequel so i'm very unsure of and and she's not on as a, a writer either so i really have no idea uh what the story was there there's all sorts we could speculate as much as we want right like hmm uh did they break up who were they you know like we, who knows but uh unfortunately that might be an improvement uh, just because, as you said, the character doesn't bring any real emotion. It seems some of the people in this are clearly uh, actors who've worked. Um, and some people are, are probably not. 
right? And that's very common. Most fan films have nothing but people who are not, you know, practiced or professional actors. This one, I think, has some. And so that's a big step up. But again, I, I would recommend it if you're a big Star Wars fan and then watch the sequel because I can only imagine it helps because the, the failure of this one is that it did not have, it didn't have its own story to complete and still be part of the bigger story that I guess they're trying to tell in two parts. And that's sort of mm -hmm. what a, 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 a segmented film really has to do. Like I always think uh, Quentin Tarantino's Kill Bill, like that's a really good example. Kill Bill one and two are both feel complete because even though we know the story is not over after one, it's its mm -hmm. own entity. And then two moves on to complete the story, but in a completely different uh, style and circumstance. Right, mm -hmm. like part one is is very much a uh, an homage to uh, some some Hong Kong fighting films, but very much uh, you know Japanese ninja and bushido films, etc. Samurai films. Whereas part two is very much rooted in wushu and the Hong Kong um, uh, uh, you know kung fu film. So you get those two separate themes, but then you also get the fact that each one feels complete. There's a hard one battle at the end and breathing room, you know? And then the next one brings us back up, you know, to the energy and carries us. This one doesn't have that. This one feels like a part one of a two-part series premiere, um, which is probably not, it was probably didn't be, probably didn't help them given that the sequel didn't come out for five more years and had yeah. cast changes because five more years, right? Uh, so that's, I understand because it's a fan film, you know, it's hard mm -hmm. to get funding for a fan film uh, especially because a fan film cannot generally get released for monetary gain because it's not your property. Um, sure, they do sometimes, but that's, you know, I wouldn't fight Disney on this. Any, that's definitely not <laughs> something I would do. Uh, so anyway, I recommend it if you are a Star Wars fan and if you would like to uh, go down and watch the second half because that really is just the length of a normal film, about an hour and a half if you watch them both. So mm -hmm. we'll definitely check it out for sure. Uh, if you do, make sure you don't, miss the uh the later 12 minute i think shorts uh which which looks quite fascinating but thank you for joining us for this second part of the two-part double feature star wars but not star wars we're going to be back uh next week with a new episode and new pairings coming up and i want to remind everyone go to cultandclassicfilms.com to join our movie subscription where every month you get a fantastic exclusive cult film on blu-ray sent to you with all sorts of extras if you would like the special edition with posters pogs they're very affordable uh cheaper than most boutique distributors i'm uh, looking at you arrow just kidding we love arrow but yes they're very affordable you can also buy the movies a la carte by going to cultandclassicfilms.com if you can hear my cat in the background he is yelling yelling <laughs> more food Okay, thank you all so much. Enjoy, catch us next week, and we will be back to regale you with more tales of bizarre, unusual films. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights 
privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.